For Pete's sake. I'm Kat. And I'm Liz, and we're Chatting Catholic. We're self-study theologians of the domestic church. And we love reading what the Bishop of Rome has to say for himself. Hello, all of you wonderful people. Thank you for being here. All my papists. You got to every time every time we talk about like listeners being papist I just think of like you got to do it in a British act like ah oh, but she's a papist like you got to do it like <laughs> yes she oh, is a it. papist uh we're re- we're actually one of our schools uh one of our school one of our schools one of our school books is um talks about papists uh that they are papists that's it's it's a little surprising right? when it comes up actually <laughs> like oh that's the thing people call other people pejoratively right. i know <laughs> oh so this is a last episode of chapter seven which is amazing to me because then we only have one more chapter left and i this is a third to last episode well that's all very exciting So what have you been doing, though? So I think since we had, like, since we were all quarantined last year, I think I have forgotten what a normal spring or summer looks like. And it's called spring sports because we're usually stuck in our house for winter. And then, like, I get the brochure in the mail every, like, February, like, hey, sign your kids up for this and this. And do all that. And by then we have cabin fever. So I just go crazy and just sign them up for everything in the catalog. And tonight we had three baseball games. I have five children. I had three games going on at simultaneously. So we had, we were hopping from like each field. And my husband coaches one of the teams. So he was with that son. And then the other, the other fields, like I was just going back and forth. And then my daughter was helping me with the baby but we got it handled. I really do love watching my kids play sports. It's like super fun and we're hollering and cheering and it's great to watch my kids. But every summer I'm like, oh my gosh, I signed them. I over signed them up. I didn't think about this again. <laughs> but I, I say that, but then like secretly I love it and I do it 10 times over. Because we're the activity family. <laughs> Lots of activity. Awesome. That, that that you are, that you are. Because oh, are your kids in sports oh. or any activities? Um, Not at this time. We actually, we are not normally the activity uh, family at all. We are normally the <laughs> stay home and be hobos family. Uh, or, um, but uh, uh, we are normally the stay at home and do nothing at all family. Um, yeah. Well, we go to like lots of park dates and stuff. Um. And just, like, exploring the creek. But this year we're a little bit... I'm trying not to do the sign ourselves up for everything thing. Because it, it is very tempting this year. This My thing with, like, spring sports and stuff like that. My son is 11. And is this, like, do people just... Do boys just go and play baseball? Like, just go to a park on a play date and just go play. Like, it doesn't... Yes. I, I yep. mean, this is probably his last year because next yes. year, like... When you get to that 12, 13 age, it's all competitive. Like, there's no such thing as, like, an intro. Yeah. Right. And so Let's next just have year, fun. But it's going to be sad because he doesn't want to yeah. do the competitive leagues. And so it's like, wh- that's just it? for Your baseball career just ends at 11 unless you do travel ball? I'm like, I don't really understand 
But yeah, I'm like, man, I'm just going to call some people next year mm-hmm. and just say we're going to bring up, bring your glove, bring your bat. Yes. We're just going to do a park day and we're going to play baseball. That's all we want to do. It doesn't have to be organized. We just want to go out there and have some fun. Yeah. We have some friends that do that and we're really blessed by it because we just, that's, that would be what I would want, would be a non-competitive, just kind of a whatever, let's kick a ball around soccer, let's throw the ball around, whatever. Um, and we're lucky that we have a group, a family that is in um, the whole travel ball nonsense, Yeah. but they also, they just like it. So they're, and they're super open and welcoming to whomever. So there are a couple families, they'll be like, all right, we're going to be at this park at this time. Anybody who wants to come down can. And her sons are actually really good about being like, clearly none of these people do this except for fun but that's what we're here for and it's great yes i love that not and i think homeschoolers are generally really good about that like not everything has you don't have to be a professional in something to just go do it or learn it or or things like that so i'm just like i just want to go play pickup ball and um that's that oh my goodness well i should probably get to reading and i am reading 263 to 270 the death penalty. There is yet another way to eliminate others, one aimed not at countries, but at individuals. It is the death penalty. St. John Paul II stated clearly and firmly that the death penalty is inadequate from a moral standpoint and no longer necessary from that of penal justice. There can be no stepping back from this position. Today we state clearly that the death penalty is inadmissible and that the church is firmly committed to calling for its abolition worldwide. In the New Testament, while individuals are asked not to take justice into their own hands, there is also a recognition of the need for authorities to pose penalties on evildoers. Indeed, civic life, structured around an organized community, needs rules of coexistence, the willful violation of which demands appropriate redress. This means that legitimate public authority can and must inflict punishments according to the seriousness of the crimes, and that judicial power be guaranteed a necessary independence in the realm of law. From the earliest centuries of the church, some were clearly opposed to capital punishments. Lactantius, for example, held that there ought to be no exception at all, that it is always unlawful to put a man to death. Pope Nicholas I urged that efforts be made to free from the punishment of death not only each of the innocent, but all the guilty as well. During the trial of the murderers of two priests, St. Augustine asked the judge not to take the life of the assassins with this argument. We do not object to your depriving these wicked men of the freedom to commit further crimes. Our desire is rather that justice be satisfied without the taking of their lives or the maiming of their bodies in any part and at the same time that by the coercive measures provided by the law, they be turned from their irrational fury to the calmness of men of sound mind, and from their evil deeds to some useful employment. This too is considered a condemnation, but who does not see that when savage violence is restrained and remedies meant to produce repentance are provided, it should be considered a benefit rather than a mere punitive measure? Do not let the atrocity of their sins feed a desire for vengeance, but desire instead to heal the wounds which those deeds have inflicted on their souls. Fear and resentment can easily lead to viewing punishment in a vindictive and even cruel way, rather than as part of a process of healing and reintegration into society. Nowadays, in some political sectors and certain media, 
public and private violence and revenge are incited, not only against those responsible for committing crimes, but also against those suspected, whether proven or not, of breaking the law. There is at times a tendency to deliberately fabricate enemies, stereotyped figures who represent all the characteristics that society perceives or interprets as threatening. The mechanisms that form these images are the same that allowed the spread of racist ideas in their time. This has made all the more dangerous the growing practice in some countries of resorting to preventative custody, imprisonment without trial, and especially the death penalty. Here I would stress that it is impossible to imagine that states today have no other means than capital punishment to protect the lives of other people from the unjust aggressor. Particularly serious in this regard are the so-called extrajudicial or extra-legal executions, which are homicides deliberately committed by certain states and by their agents, often passed off as clashes with criminals or presented as the unintended consequences of the reasonable, necessary, and proportionate use of force in applying the law. The arguments against the death penalty are numerous and well-known. The Church has rightly called attention to several of these, such as the possibility of judicial error and the use made of such punishment by totalitarian and dictatorial regimes as a means of suppressing political dissidents or persecuting religious and cultural minorities, all victims whom the legislation of those regimes consider delinquents. All Christians and people of goodwill are today called to work not only for the abolition of the death penalty, legal or illegal in all its forms, but also to work for the improvement of prison conditions, out of respect for the human dignity of persons deprived of their freedom. I would link this to life imprisonment. A life sentence is a secret death penalty. Let us keep in mind that not even a murderer loses his personal dignity, and God himself pledges to guarantee this. The firm rejection of the death penalty shows to what extent it is possible to to recognize the inalienable dignity of every human being and accept that he or she has a place in this universe. If I do not deny that dignity to the worst of criminals, I will not deny it to anyone. I will give everyone the possibility of sharing this planet with me, despite all our differences. I ask Christians who remain hesitant on this point and those tempted to yield to violence in any form to keep in mind the words of the book of Isaiah, they shall beat their swords into plowshares. For us, this prophecy took flesh in Jesus Christ, who, seeing a disciple tempted to violence, said firmly, Put your sword back into its place, for all who take the sword will perish by the sword. These words echoed the ancient warning, I will require a reckoning for human life. Whoever sheds the blood of a man, by man shall his blood be shed. Jesus' reaction, which sprang from his heart, bridges the gap of the centuries and reaches the present as an enduring appeal. All right, thank you, Liz, for going through that for us. The death penalty. Absolutely. Yeah, it's oof, oof. I have deep feels about this. This is one of my, like, my, my things that I, I can rant on. So Kat will have to either edit this or... Uh, Definitely could have. Uh, we debated whether or not putting this with um, just wars, but it really... I mean, you can definitely put it... Yes. And you can definitely put it in its own category and, and give it the... I think people need it to be on its own platform more often because it's something that we don't really pay attention you can, too much to. It's also... it's 
often enough to find someone who accepts one or the other of these two tenets of social teaching without accepting both. Yeah. Um, and so it's potentially better to have the arguments for both separated, even though they feel intrinsically linked, because it's, once again, it comes back to the right to human life. We don't have the right to take life away. Right. And I think once you do start unwrapping a just war, like we did last week, yeah. once you start unwrapping that sort of um, logic, the death penalty just naturally rolls right into that as the next process that you should maybe yep. push yourself a little bit more to think about and see yes. biblically and what the other popes have had to say about it because there's a lot to unpack. There's a lot to unpack. You can take it from the top down and say, okay, this is what the Catholic Church says. And you can talk about how, you know, you can read what the popes have said throughout the, uh, throughout the ages about this. But you can also, you can take it from the bottom up, as it were, and you can be like, okay, so what would be a what what's a capital offense what is what is a valid capital offense and try and think of one and then try to think of what injustices could happen if that were a capital offense like obviously we're really a political crime can that can that be well no because then of course you can just use that to silence your en your political enemies which is never okay um, right. You can't you can't be silencing dissidents with capital punishment. So murder is murder, is it though? Like first of all, um, one of the thing one of the problems with saying you know an eye for an eye, which is obviously it's in the Old Testament. Um, even though we can talk about how there are also sanctuary cities and other kind of checks against that, and obviously the New Testament. Um, but you can also but is it okay if someone is going to be killed because of something they didn't do? Like, how many, like, capital punishment for murder, okay, how sure are you that this person murdered the other person? And two, and at least as important, this person deserves the opportunity to repent. Um, Absolutely. Like, even in, this, even in this encyclical, I mean, he's even built upon that he really hit home at the beginning of chapter seven forgiveness and went through so yes. many things on that before he got to war before he got yep. to death penalty because he has to build on that like and one of the things is it's not natural for human beings so it's like one of those yeah. things that it ha you have to have the holy spirit instill in you these yes these extraordinary yeah graces yes. Yeah, we love justice for justice's sake. Um, and he talked about that ab above in the encyclical. But there's no evidence that capital punishment deters violent crime. Mm -hmm. There's just none. There is no evidence that capital punishment deters violent crime. And there is, in fact, some evidence that it increases violent crime. And in a world where the justice system always worked perfectly, that may not make sense. But in a world where the justice system works halfway right. makes total sense because in a world where you might get the death penalty you want to beat up or kill anyone who saw you do a capital crime you don't want there to be witnesses etc because you're going to die for it as opposed to do time for it or among other things it just becomes a very brutal 
It's a very brutal way of being. Mm -hmm. I mean, he even touches on here, um, he says, even a life sentence is a secret, a secret death yes. penalty. So are these, like you said, to have these harsh punishments, you're not giving them time for repentance and reflection. And the end goal needs to be that they reform, come back yes. to Christ and change their ways and then yes. can be able to receive forgiveness and go to heaven. Like we're not doing any of those things. There are some places where justice just seems like life is necessary. Um, there are some serial killers, for example, where you're just like, I can't imagine you being right. safe. Absolutely. Um, but look how many cases, look how many cases of people yes. who are on death row. Not everyone is a Ted Bundy. Not no. every single person is a serial killer. But yet no. we have tons on death row. Yes. And in fact, go, you should look at the people, you should look at the people who are on death row because it, the statistics there will bother you when you get down into it. Right. Um, there's a fantastic book, Just Mercy, that talks about um, his, the whole EJI, like, shtick is getting people off of death row and trying to bring about um, prison reforms and other things like this. And they're talking about people and the, their crimes are just not things that that should really, frankly, bother you. They're, they're not, they, they're definitely not things that people should be, they're definitely not things people should be killed for. They're definitely not things that people should be in prison for life for in all cases. And there are also, there are people who are in prison for life, for just life, for a lot less. And yes, not to, you know, be... But it's usually because of their skin color. It's a whole faceted subject. I mean, we could we could go on forever about this. Hearing people that actually work within the prison system and see it firsthand. And then, like, yes. even the things that they try to do, it's quite amazing because it's a job, but it's also a ministry. And that's, you know. And it, if um, just as a person with, you know, some psychology degree, being a prison guard is so hard on the psyche. So seeing it as a ministry is probably about the only way to come out of that unscathed. The The justice system isn't anything like fair at present. And even if it were, can can you seriously think of, an of a moment where you not willing to extend the hand of potential forgiveness? That you want, is there anyone for whom you want to say, yeah, I want judgment day to come faster for you? really right. is that true and what does um, that do like, to your own soul there was a really right? good one i'm gonna i'm gonna find it and i'm gonna um put it in the show notes i'm sure it's on youtube it was a few years ago i don't know if you guys remember it was a a female white police officer she was off duty she walked she's in one of those apartment buildings where every single apartment looks the same and she accidentally walked into her neighbor's apartment still had her gun on her and shot him while he was in his own home it was a horrible thing but then during the trial his brother got on the stand and he's like my family is really upset i'm doing this but I have to say up here that I love you. I'm going to, you know, for, for my own sake, for my own soul, I'm a Christian. I have to sit here today, look right at you and say, I forgive you and I love you. Because my brother wouldn't want it any other way. It was just it's, like a really yeah. extremely moving 
forgiveness yeah. right there during the trial. Every everything's heated. Everything is really intense, and he just had to go up there. I'm like, well, no matter what happens, I yeah. have to, as a Christian, I have to sit here and say I love you. It's so hard. There's actually, and this rips me to pieces, but there is a gentleman scheduled to be executed, actually, the day this comes out, and mm-hmm. I can't even. Yes. Um, his I name is Quentin Philippe about. Jones, and he is... Um, he he was he was convicted of the murder of his great aunt and i mean here you know murder that's that's a really big deal but can you imagine can you imagine for a minute having a family member killed by another family member but then having that family member killed too I mean, their family is the ones call his family, the people whom he hurt, because that's whom he hurt, are calling for him to be, you know, for clemency. And everyone, he's, he's been in prison for 20 years. He's had a just beautiful life of like, he's, mm-hmm. you can read his letters. He has, you know, he's, his, he was 20 years old. And he had been severely abused and bad things happened. Profound remorse, I think, is the word. He's, re- he's repeatedly expressed profound remorse. And he doesn't feel like he should be a death row. No. I, well, it, he doesn't even, he's not even saying this. All of his family and friends, and yes, friends, people who have been writing him for, like, he, he takes full responsibility for what he did. Right. But he's not a danger to anyone. He's not a danger to anybody. And he's actually a pretty amazing citizen nowadays. Um, just, you know, from his jail cell, he's saying amazing things. He's so, his letters are absolutely beautiful. Yes. And he's got a lot of friends on the outside. And why can't, why does this person have to die? What excuse is there? There is none. Right. I mean, prison reform is slow moving. I mean, once, once someone is convicted it takes a miracle you have to those lawyers at like the innocence project or equal justice initiative they have to move mountains to get any like one inch forward and they do amazing work i think all of these are pro bono any sort of like innocence project or anything all pro so bono feel, work. you know, please, uh, please feel free to contribute to writing some injustice because these people are doing all of this for free. Yes, for for donations only. Yeah, it's it's pretty amazing how much they do and work for very little, and and like you said, a lot of the times, one step. I know during the Trump administration, and I have to like pull it up, but yes, especially for early offenders there was one that passed and there was a dateline episode about it and it was really good because it talked about like how um i think it's called first step um initiative and it was it was all about releasing early offenders like teenagers people who have been they're eight they're in their 80s now but they committed something in like 20 19 18 year old kids And so um, that was really wonderful to see a whole, like, docu-series about that, how people are getting out now that have been in prison for a huge, the majority of their life. Um, one thing that really touched me, and I would, I mean, I would almost say, like, go back and read 
St. John Paul II's Evangelium Vitae. It also touches on the subjects and the things that are in there are just beautiful. My favorite one is every individual precisely by reason of the mystery of the word of God who has made flesh is entrusted to the maternal care of the church. Maternal care of the church. Like we are supposed to be caring for these yes. people because of human yes. dignity and we don't really think about them and when you know someone like this or who just narrowly avoided you talk about this person in your life and everybody's like i wish you wouldn't talk about them so much and you're like yeah but i love them and right. it's hard but they don't want but people tend to the the slow burn that gets somebody here of just being misserved over and over and over and over again Mm-hmm. when people see the system doing what the system does marginalizing people it's very upsetting but because any one step isn't that bad right but then when you're talking about your person that's kind of going through this process and you're trying so hard to pull them out of it but none of this none of the things you're doing work people start to realize that the system shoves people into a corner little things little things get you into that funnel or things that don't seem that bad in that same encyclical it really is just like super touching because it's um it says therefore every threat to human dignity and life yes. must necessarily be felt by the by the church's yes. very heart like yes. we should all feel that injustice we should all feel yes. that threat to human dignity and we have it in certain aspects of human dignity, but then we turn a blind eye. It's time for us to kind of wake up and say, hey, if we're going to care about this, this, and this issue, we have yep. to carry, we have to care about all of it. We have to yes. at least be aware and educate ourselves enough about these things. Oh my goodness. I saw actually a beautiful protest sign become shirt. Um that said uh, nobody should be killed with a shot um, and referring to both obviously oh death penalty gosh. and and um, euthanasia and abortion all at once nobody should be killed by shot wow that's a very powerful statement thanks for joining us this week on For Pete's Sake as we explore the words of Pope Francis and Fratelli Tutti Find For Pete's Sake on Facebook and Instagram. You can find links to Fratelli Tutti and some of our sources in the show notes. See you next week. St. Peter. Ora pro nobis.